Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Hello, everybody. Great to see you on Thursday, the 17th of December. Thank you for joining us today for our uh, Wendy Weekly live interview. Um, I'm really pleased this week to have finally got a very special guest here uh, and the reason I say finally is because we did schedule this for a couple of weeks ago but we weren't able to do it because and I mean this is her excuse but it's probably because she was out shopping in some amazing French village at the time. Um, Diane Greenwood, hello Diane. Thank you for having me Wendy. <laughs> well it's it's a delight to have you Diane, I'm really really glad you could make it today um, because we see behind you the lovely stone walls of a French gite, I do believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we moved over here a couple of weeks ago. It's been our dream for a long time. And yeah, we finally finally bought it. And uh, yeah, we're over here now. So we're staying till the new year. So Amazing, amazing. And in fact, the reason why we couldn't do the interview a couple of weeks ago is actually because you had a problem with your broadband, didn't you, with your internet connection? Because yeah. you just, you just uh, kind of moved over there. So things were a little bit up in the air at the time. Yeah. But we've got you today, which is exciting. <laughs> and it looks like it's a strong connection, so I think we should be okay for the interview, which is which is excellent. So just to give a little bit of background, um, Diane and I were recently featured together in the latest copy of Property Investor News. If anybody subscribes to it, I would say it's one of the best magazines on the market for looking at uh, the property industry. There's all some extremely valuable content, uh, and both Diane and I know Rich Richard Bowser who is the editor so he contacted us and individually knows us as HMO investors and asked us to comment on some of the trends in co-living and how we see the future of HMOs panning out and uh, when when I read the article and I'd, I'd come across you Diane through Facebook and social media um, but we've never met in person before have we um, so I contacted Diane because I think uh, for me as an HMO investor I love meeting other people who have also grown their business changed their lifestyle created income from HMOs and from property and I felt that it would be really lovely Diane to get you on the, the program today and um, just to find out a little bit about your history and, and your journey to where you are today uh, to help other people who might also be thinking about investing in HMOs or maybe they're they're kind of halfway to towards reaching their goals or their target, but they haven't got there yet. Um, whereas you this year have obviously achieved quite a significant uh, achievement with your, your move to France. And we want to go into all the, the details of that and how that actually happened. So uh, so it's really great, really great to have you here today. Um, so Diane, can I just start by asking you, how did you first get involved in HMOs? What was it that led you to start investing in, in HMOs? Well, we've been we've been sort of started investing with single lets like most people do, and it was just the realization that we needed an awful lot of single lets to achieve um, what we wanted to achieve. So it was a cash flow strategy for us, and the original um, reason for doing HMOs was so that my husband could could get out of his full time job. I was already I was already a business owner, already had my own business, but he was still full time employed, twenty eight years with the same employer. So he wanted to to leave. And, and that's why HMOs was chosen as the main strategy because of the cash flow, really. Okay, so and, and where is it that you were investing? So we, um, we're, in, we're up in Yorkshire in Weatherby, in, which is in West Yorkshire, but we kind of, because we're quite close to North Yorkshire as well, so North and West Yorkshire is our main areas that we invest in. Specific sort of smaller places within those is where we invest. So you had your cleaning business at the time, is yeah. that right? 
Yeah. And do you still have that business? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So the cleaning business has been going 13 years um, and it got a bit bigger than I expected it to um, when I originally started it. But, we, but I've started franchising. So we've now got three branches and we're, we were, we were going to launch nationwide in March this year. But obviously something else happened in March this year. So we're hoping to launch nationwide early next year instead. So, so it sounds like you had the kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, within your 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 partnership, your 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 sort of marriage, I suppose you were the one who started the original business, and then how, how did you then start to kind of sort of morph into HMOs? You you, you said you had some single buy to lets, but what was it that kind of made you think, okay, we can see the cash flow, but what what, what was it that kind of got you into knowing about HMOs and, and being aware of them as a as a potential strategy? Through, through the network networking really or the, you know I mean I'd, I'd been aware um, of HMOs because of my cleaning business and we cleaned some student HMOs in the early years of the cleaning business never again um, <laughs> and it put, completely put me off HMOs to start with I was like oh no there's no way I would want properties like that they were disgusting but actually then I started to realize and it was actually um people like Paul Lanfear I don't know if you know Paul he's he's fairly local to me in Leeds him and him and his lovely wife Liz and they were doing HMOs but, but beautiful HMOs and I kind of thought oh actually I could combine kind of you know running this as a business but also provide some really great HMOs rather than what I'd sort of seen previously which was more you know the student grotty student HMOs shall we call them <laughs> yeah the more grungy end, end of the market yeah definitely yeah, yeah. right excellent so how did you actually start what, what was the first property that you bought and how did that project go well my our, my first HMO was not a purchase it was actually a rent to rent um, and I've still got it, um, so you know, I've had it a long time now. Um, I renewed the contract a couple of times. So yeah, my first property was a beautiful um, six-bed um, property. Uh, well, it's actually four bedrooms, but it's now a, a really big six-bed HMO with great living space, and, and it's been great. So that was my first experience of HMOs was doing a, a simple rent-to-rent, um, and it was another year really before we actually bought anything. Um, and then we bought one and we got another rent to rent at the same time. So we ended up doing two HMOs at once and they were both conversions as well. So one obviously was a big conversion because we bought it. The other one was just, we were adapting the property. So yeah, it was kind of a bit of a baptism of fire if you like. And it's like, okay, go from one HMO, nice and easy to three and um, within the space of a few weeks so. yeah yeah that's that's quite a lot of extra work to take on isn't it yeah but we just thought well we can't you know we, we don't want to turn the opportunity away so um if we can do we've done one <laughs> you know we're buying one let's let's learn on that one and then we can do this other rent to rent alongside it and yeah it, it worked thank goodness yeah. great that's really good so you went from one and then you had three yeah and then, and then what happened after that it just gradually built from there. I mean, um, I work with um, my business partner, Zena, and she has a lot of experience in interior design and in more in property development than I did at that time. And um, we knew each other through um, my cleaning business and her interior design business from, from a few years before. She contacted me and saw that I was starting to invest and would, would I be interested in doing something together. So the next ones after that, we, we've done them jointly ever since. Um, Great. So that's kind of, and it, and it just snowballed really. Um, and how um, many how many rooms do you have now that you look after? We well because we now have the letting agency, we manage over 150 rooms. Um, but oh, yeah. yeah, ourselves we got to about 35 tenants when we we realised we hated managing tenants. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not good when you've got a letting agency, is it? But it wasn't. It wasn't that we hated managing tenants. It was that we had no structure around it. Right. So we, we were effectively self-managing landlords. 
with 35 tenants and um, that was the realization that we needed some more structure around it because it was becoming really difficult um, to make it work and it was becoming stressful um, and for me as a business builder you know with a background in sort of systems and that sort of thing I need, knew I needed to put some structure around it so that's when at 35 tenants was when the letting agency was first sort of started as a bit of a convenience to create a business around our own sort of properties but then of course it snowballed from there and we started developing and managing for other people as well so and it's quite interesting actually what you say Diane because I've spoken to a lot of people who are at about sort of 35 to 50 rooms they find that where when they had 20 rooms maybe that's three or four HMOs it's quite manageable you can do it alongside maybe another business or a day job it doesn't interfere too much with your life uh, as long as you can keep rooms filled there isn't a lot of turnover and it's, it's manageable isn't it yeah. but you get to 35 40 50 rooms and you suddenly find you've maybe got a vacancy or a void you know fairly consistently that it's one room that somebody's moving out somebody else is moving in right. you just find that the workload begins to build and build and build and if you haven't got anybody that you can offload to or delegate to you're doing everything and you're also organizing the maintenance and it's at that point where i think people often find that they either start to resent the work that's involved in an HMO and, and change strategy and yeah. decide not to do it at all, or they decide to bring on somebody to help them. And, and like you, we did the same, we set up our own letting agency, and that's the way that you scale. Or they decide that they are, they're going to stop and they, they're not going to do any more HMOs, they'll just live with what they've got and then maybe sort of bring in a bit of part-time yeah. help. Um, but that tends to be very much the trigger I found that sort of 35 rooms and more is really at the point where you you've got a question what is our growth model how are we going to grow this business do we want to grow the business and if so what direction are we going to take and obviously that happened to you as well didn't it yeah, and to be honest if there had been a letting agency in our area at that time that knew anything about HMOs we probably would have just taken on a letting agent and then weirdly enough all the rest of it would never have happened so that's kind of it's good that it did that there wasn't a letting agent because now we have the developments business as well but at the time we would have literally just offloaded them on a letting agent but there just wasn't anybody this is 2016 there was just nobody in our local area that knew anything about HMOs they might a few of them claim to but when you kind of ask them questions they actually didn't have any experience or anything so yeah that was it was by necessity I call myself an accidental letting agent um, because the, the letting agency was born out of that necessity for needing that structure and management um, it's great now love it you know I, I do actually like managing it now but uh, at the time um, I didn't <laughs> absolutely well of course you you also had your cleaning business so presumably that that would have helped do, do, does your cleaning business clean the HMOs yes yeah yeah, and that's, I mean, that's obviously, that's good because it's nice into company, but also you get that reliability that, because, you know, I don't know about you with H, cleaning communes or HMOs, we've tried to kind of employ our own cleaner in the letting agency because it, it was actually more cost effective than outsourcing it to my other business. But it's just impossible to find somebody that, whereas the cleaning business already got all that structure in place to manage the cleaners, there's no need to reinvent it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We use an external cleaning agency. We have thought about setting up our own, but um, like you, we found that actually having an agency who had their own systems and processes, they had staff who could cover if somebody was off sick. Yeah. They got all. They bring all the materials. They 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 have all the equipment. It's just much much easier and it's much more reliable. So. Yeah. 
that's that's why we use an external cleaning agency. Um, but I think I think that again, it's that that question of scale, isn't it? At what point do you then need to start to scale and to utilize external people, um, whilst also trying to maintain costs and making sure that you're still profitable? It's yeah, getting that balance right is is a tricky yeah. one. In those yeah, same in every business though isn't it as you grow you kind of have to take a hit on the profit in order to grow um but if you don't then you you can't reach that next level anyway so yes absolutely so so then you started to so you set up your letting agency and then you started to grow using uh, managing external landlords property yeah. so that was an, an interesting next step for you <laughs> yeah it was because obviously you know lettings it, it's, there's so much compliance but because because we were already investing in HMOs, we had a, a probably a head start on on the compliance thing because we already, you know, I already understood most of what was related to HMOs. So yeah, the lettings were just sort of an extra. And the initial clients, in fact, pretty much all of our clients have come from networking. So I love our clients because they are landlords that want us to just get on with it on their behalf. Mm -hmm. rather than you know that they are you know literally they they more or less hand over the property and so long as we keep them updated then um it seems to work really well so in terms of your your kind of market reach so you're, you're based in weatherby when you're back in the uk um and what what's the market like up there at the moment for hmos do you, do you see house prices going up significantly as much as the uk has done this year or have they stabilized what what's the, what's the strength of the market there for hmo rooms yeah well i think for hmo rooms it, it just it really varies we we manage in and we own in two, in a couple of different types of areas so we've got our move more blue collar areas if you like they actually haven't been as affected which is weird i'm not sure you know we've not had problems with rent arrears and we've actually the demand has actually improved in recent months um actually in our white collar areas there's a lot more competition than there was so we're feeling it actually it's it's not as good there at the moment but i just think it keeps going up and down in different areas i, I we've not even been able to find a pattern to be honest in the last few years and i think if like any business if you're delivering a really really good product then people will buy it that's the yes issue. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that a good product always attracts people. Yeah. How has this year affected your business with regard to COVID? Um, apart from the restrictions that we've put in place and, and a drop, because in April and May, we didn't um, do any move-ins. Um, people moved out into other properties, but we didn't do any viewings or move-ins or anything like that as a, a policy. And so obviously we in terms of the letting agency, there was a, a drop in tenant find fees at that point, and there were and, our, and us and our landlords ended up with a few voids. But other than that, touch wood, we've actually not seen a massive effect, I don't think, from COVID, other than the precautions that we have to take, you know, when we're doing viewings. And, and we've had one property where we've had two positive cases and we just changed. Luckily, there's enough bathrooms. So it was like, OK, that's the COVID bathroom um, and nobody else uses that one. And for the, for the next two weeks and yeah, we've not honestly not seen a massive difference yeah we've had the odd tenant that's got into arrears but to be honest they were the tenants that were already a bit sort of haphazard with their payments everybody else seems to be on an on a even keel whether that's because of furlough or not I don't I don't know <laughs> true yes we'll, we'll wait and see won't we the end of yeah. March is going to be an and of course there's a lot of people working from home so we've had a few broadband issues and we've kind of have to talk through tenants kind of what what the landlord does provide and what they're you know not necessarily able to provide so there's been sort of issues with that a few condensation issues with people working in their rooms all day and <laughs> speaking on zoom and with no ventilation but 
other than that, no, it's not been, I think psychologically it's had a massive effect, but I don't think in terms of actual business numbers and the way things have worked, it's had that big an effect so far. And do you think that moving forward, I mean, okay, we've got the vaccine on the horizon, but I think for the, the sort of vast majority of the working age population, that's going to take a while before we receive that vaccine. It's it's mostly aimed, you know, to start with, isn't it, older and vulnerable. We might be 90 by the time we get it. That's well, <laughs> let's hope not. Uh, but do you think this is going to affect the landscape of HMOs over the next couple of years? And if so, how do you think that's going to happen? I don't know. I personally think that the landscape of HMOs will change naturally anyway. I think the model's already evolving um, with the co-living thing. And, you know, I'm not sure whether people are going to want to be doing co-living and co-working, but that may well be um, the way the model um, evolves. Or actually, it might evolve to a bit more self-containment because of COVID, you know, where... OK, so one suites have always been popular, but they're not necessarily always practical. But, you know, I, I have seen people kind of doing more studio style HMOs and that sort of thing because the tenants really want that little bit more sort of their own space, don't they? Because, as you know, if you have a case in the house, that's it. The whole house could be at risk because they're yeah. sharing all facilities. Yes, absolutely. So, so what have you done in your HMOs to try and kind of keep them COVID secure and COVID safe? Well, we've right from early doors, right from, you know, right back in March and um, because of the cleaning business, I actually um, am one of the founders and the current chair of the, um, the Trade Association for Domestic Cleaning, the Domestic Cleaning Business Network. So we did a lot of research and we actually paid a consultant to put together some guidelines as to how to protect and looked into what products worked and that sort of thing. So with that in mind, I used a lot of the resources that we created in the DCBN to then pass on through the letting agency to tenants. So obviously we had notices on notice the notice boards about washing and, and that sort of thing. And and coughing into your arm and all those sort of basic things but also in the beginning of lockdown we we sent out we obviously stopped sending our cleaners in for a couple of months so we sent um, cleaning products to all the houses and just basically it's about it's been about keeping them informed i think throughout so as because obviously it's it, if we look back to march it seems like an awfully long time ago and so much has changed and the guidelines just keep changing constantly so every time there's anything that we kind of think that's changed enough We've sent out some new information to tenants as to kind of what we expect. And obviously, you've got to talk about visitors and whether you're allowed to have visitors. And we have to be it's hard to enforce, but we need to at least keep everybody up to date as to what they're, the rules they're supposed to be following. Mm. Well, of course, the government didn't really um, start the mask. You know, we weren't really wearing masks, were we, yeah. until August, I think, was when they announced yeah, that. So, yeah. now, now masks are mandatory in certain places, shops and so yeah. on. So again, as you say, everything has evolved and we're learning all the time about how the, the virus is spread and, and what we can do to minimise that. Um, and I, I, my, I, I would say that, you know, information is key, isn't it, to, to, to enable tenants who might not be, uh, you know, watching the news or listening to the news, the, the number of channels that we can make available to them, particularly if they are busy, they're maybe working from home. Some of our tenants have got two jobs. So they have a day job and then they might go and work in a factory or work somewhere else in the evening. They, they can't necessarily keep up with the rules and regulations. No. So I think we have a duty to try and help them to do that. Yeah. And you can't take away all risks because they go to the supermarket and they go to work and that sort of thing. But it's just minimising the, the risk as much as we can in the house. And, and, and it, with viewings now, you know, we have we have some really strict protocols when we're doing a viewing in a house because 
we're the ones responsible for keeping that house safe whilst we're there. So, um, yeah, so we're following really strict guidelines on our viewings as well. Well, I was pleased to hear that you say that you haven't had too many problems with rent arrears, uh, which I know some landlords have really struggled with this year. Mm. Why do you think that you're, you have been successful in not having problems? Um, I think it's we're, we're quite proactive, so I think it's a case of that the communication. So when when a tenant has had a, even a short term challenge, then we've managed to kind of sort them out so that okay, you can pay this and then pay extra. So we we're always you know available to sort out payment plans and that sort of thing to minimise them. Um, you know, and like I say, when I look at the you know I'm the one that does the financials in the letting agency, so I've always got a clear view. And really, the only ones that are in arrears we're already in arrears and kind of keeping keeping on top but but constantly in arrears if you like even if it's by small amounts so yeah we've just not had the, the issues with them but i do think that the the um, furlough scheme has probably saved most of us from major issues with that yes yes uh, I, that's, that's that's true so that's really good and i think that's very telling actually that developing a good positive relationship with your tenants may take a little bit more time it's something that people probably don't want to do and like you alluded to earlier you didn't you got to the point where you didn't want to deal with your tenants um yeah. which i think you know a lot of a lot of hmo landlords get to and, and they'll either outsource to an agency but they've got to make sure that agency knows what to do and the agency is proactive uh, or that they are prepared to either bring somebody in and develop their team themselves so yeah. that they can then be be proactive it, uh, my my feeling is i don't know whether you agree diane but hmos are a different beast to a single buy to let property and they, yeah. they have to be treated like that but treat them well they give you a good return uh, in in return yeah for me hmos are all about managing relationships um, it's our relationship with the individual tenants. You've got an element of having to help their relationships with each other. Um, it's just all about looking after people and managing people and um, what, yeah, what, what they can do and how you can help them and, and best sort of serve them. Because we look at them as, yeah, obviously we have our own tenants, but most of our tenants are our clients' tenants. So our clients are actually, our, the landlords are our clients, the tenants aren't our clients, but we are looking after our landlords' clients on their behalf. So we kind of, the tenants, so we, we kind of take it that, that view that's mm. our role yeah now this year has also been uh, aside from covid and um, you know the challenges i suppose that's presented but this has been actually quite an exciting year for you personally hasn't it um, well, yes, um, because, um, yeah, I mean, 13, 13 years ago, when I first started my cleaning business, we had, uh, well, I, I had, I think I probably persuaded my husband, but at first it was probably me and then it became we, um, was, was this big vision that we were going to sell everything in the UK, I was going was to build the cleaning business and sell it, and um, we were going to sell our house in the UK and, and move over here, everything, and have a jeep business. And because I started investing in property, part way through that it kind of did the the vision and the dream sort of changed a little and realized that actually we could keep the business in the kick the business in the UK have a property portfolio keep the house in the UK and buy a house over here and not have to run a business so it's just become our it's it's actually become our permanent home but it's a mixture between holiday and permanent really so yeah it's definitely it's so exciting the last couple of weeks i've been pinching myself a lot and <laughs> um, cannot quite believe it's happened and it's even got a swimming pool it's just amazing yeah wow that's fantastic so you know i i think it's wonderful when we hear of people who have had this vision this goal this dream to to change their lifestyle to move 
abroad or to do something completely different. And rather than it just being on the horizon the whole time, you've actually made it happen. So what I'd be really interested to know is what was it that do you think that kind of led to your success in being able to realize this? Because this is a pretty big goal, isn't it? Pretty big dream to be able to buy a gîte in France, in the southwest of France, with all the land you have and all the, you know, the resources, the swimming pool, the piggeries, <laughs> all the other uh, <laughs> elements you have there, whether or not you're going to use them. Um, so what can, can you give some some advice to other people who might themselves have a dream or a vision? What, what, what led to your success? How did you enable it to happen? Well, I think it, it really does start with that, that vision bit. And, and I do some business coaching of cleaning business owners. And my first session is always, what do you want to achieve? And then how can you make it feel real? So it starts with, you know, I've, I've had pictures on my office wall at, at home um, of a house in France for 13 years. Um, because and it's always been there so that that's what motivated me on the days when you know when I had those 35 tenants and was hating it to carry on and find a solution and build another business around that and be more successful so for me it's always been about having that that thing to focus on and originally it was you know the house in France and my husband being able to give up his job and it's kind of like he obviously he did that a few years ago but it's just always been that drive to kind of keep pushing forward. But for me, it's about every 90 days, what am I going to do to make sure I can reach that big goal? And, and I've always been right from the start 13 years ago, 90 days, new plan, 90 days, another new plan. That's amazing. That's absolutely brilliant. And it, it's it's something that we we know we should do, but not everybody does it. Yeah. But having that having that uh, that disciplined approach to taking some time out, looking at your vision, looking at what you need to do in the next 90 days has clearly been very, very effective for you, Diane. I think a lot of people think of business planning as being something that they create to give to the bank and then they sit, then it sits on a shelf and they, they don't ever refer back to it. But, you know, the way I've used planning is it's just literally what am I going to do in the next 90 days? And never mind all the, the other fluff that can go into a business plan. It's just what am I going to do in the next 90 days? And then, OK, now I need to do it. Great. Great. Brilliant. Now, one of the other things that um, I, I think you, you haven't really yet mentioned, but I think this is probably key to your success is your systems. You're, you're, a, you're a systems person, aren't you? You're, you're the kind of person that will have an idea, have a vision for a business, start something. But uh, quite soon you realize you don't want to be you don't want to be cleaning the houses personally. You don't want to be managing those tenants personally. So clearly you have devised or implemented systems of, of, of help all your businesses run can you tell us a little bit more about those please and, and what you do yeah it's interesting because systems isn't a lot of people think systems is about about finding the the ultimate piece of software that will run your business for you and it's, it's not the, the first, first of all there isn't one so stop looking <laughs> there will be several pieces of software that might help in your business but there's never going to be one but for me systems is about looking at each kind of chunk of your business so each part of your business and figuring out how you think it will work best and then finding a way of getting that information to your team so that they can run it that way. So the, the trouble is, I think, with most business owners is they want it done a certain way, but they don't share that with anybody. And then they complain that somebody else is doing it their way <laughs> instead. So for me, it's systems is about what your business, how, how it should be done. If, if that makes sense. So, but yes, you really do have to break down every bit of the business and figure out what works and what doesn't and how you would like it to work. And then you can create training and, and sort of management around that. 
That so it sense. sounds like it, it does. Yes, is what you're saying is that you, you you need to almost stand back and figure out the the individual parts of the process, yeah. uh, almost a step by step guide. And then whether you use a tool, an app, an online system, yeah. you still always need to have a person, though, don't you? Yeah. Uh, that manages that and, and I think that you're absolutely right that people tend to certainly in the property world there, there's this sort of halcyon notion that there is going to be one piece of software that will manage your property business for you uh, if only that were true oh. nice, it? yeah <laughs> and it's not to say there aren't some excellent pieces of software out there there are some very very useful pieces yeah. of software. Um, but I, I always think that you, you know you, you, taking the approach that you've done which is to piece by piece sit down and work out what it is that you need to do in order to, for example, in a property business, you mentioned earlier about compliance. Now, if you're managing your properties correctly, you've got to be aware of the law. You've got to be aware of compliance factors. Yeah. Are you making sure that you are doing all the, the electrical, the fire, the alarm safety tech tests and the techs and noting them down so that if the HMO licensing officer comes along and says, right, we want to see your last uh, you know, fire alarm checks for the last six months or whatever it is, yeah. you've got those. You've got to have systems to be able to, to keep keep check and keep track of those, haven't you? Exactly, yeah. And I like, I like to think of systems as your business for dummies so that anybody could look at your 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 book, if you like. It's not a book. It's, it's, it's a, a living entity. It's not a, a book. But they could actually come into the business and see how things work because it's documented. There are processes in place. You know, there's training in place. And it particularly works well in the cleaning business because, obviously, you know, that you can be a lot more systematic when it comes to cleaning, whereas lettings tends to be a little bit more reactive sometimes. But there, like you say, there are certain things in lettings that are step by step so they can be really easily systemized but it just takes that initial discipline to get it done but the way that i see it is that if you don't systemize it then you'll always do that task whereas if you take the time to systemize it once then eventually hopefully you can have somebody else do that task but if yeah. you don't ever systemize it you'll always be doomed to do it yourself or you'll give it to somebody else to do and they won't do it how you wanted it doing so yeah it's a and actually, it comes down to having some kind of operations manual, doesn't it? Like, there, there is, there's always going to be a certain part in lettings where you're dealing with people, you can't systemize it. A lot of it is, you know, having a conversation with somebody. And until we get excellent robots that can do this, it comes down to people yeah. and interactions, which are uh, unpredictable. But I, th I think that a good property business, whether it has a, a lettings arm or it's a lettings business, or if it's your own property, your own HMOs, I believe that even from very early days, if you can start to create that operations manual, but as you say, documents the systems and the processes, the tools and the roles of the people, it means that you can lessen your time in that business. And uh, then you as the business owner can focus on the growth of the business rather than the day-to-day -day operations. Plus, also, when something's not worked quite right, you can use that lesson to look, look at the system and see where could we tweak it to make it work better. Rather than automatically looking at the person, it might well be that the system that they were using wasn't quite right and you need to make some adjustments. So that's kind of, and the other key thing with it as well is if you're going to be systemizing your business and having other people do the work, then you need a way of kind of having a, a dashboard, if you like, an overview of what's going on in your business as well. You can't taking I'm over here in France but I'm you know still having team meetings on zoom and, and I can still see what's going on because we've got software in place that allows me to have a view of what's going on in the businesses 
That's fantastic. Well, that, that's very inspiring, Diane. Absolutely very inspiring. So what about 2021 then? What, what's going to be uh, your, your main goals for 2021? I haven't said them yet because it's been, you know, it's been a bit weird, hasn't it? <laughs> I might go back and look at my goals from March and see what's going on. There. No, my, my 90 day goals are there, but I haven't set the big ones yet. But we're um, just finishing a um, commercial to residential stroke retail um, project. It's only a small one, but we're just finishing it. And um, so that's kind of our focus in early in the year. But for us, next year is all about finding great deals. And um, it's been quite hard to find deals. Um, so it's it, that is going to be our focus is to find great deals for ourselves and for our for our clients to go out there. But we want to focus more on commercial, probably some more commercial conversions, although they are hard work. There's a, a lot more goes into converting um, a commercial property into residential than creating an HMO, which we already, you know, we've, we've got a cookie cutter approach to that now. We've done so many, but this was a whole new ball game with soundproofing and yeah, goodness knows what we've had to put in there. You, you go up a little bit more in your learning, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The next step. The, next the nice step. thing is it's our project, so we've been learning at our expense rather than at our client's expense, which is probably not so good for us, but better for our clients for us to kind of... Yeah, it's true, true. Well, actually, you've then got the credibility that next time round you can say, well, actually, we've done it for ourselves. We know the yeah. pitfalls, we know the, uh, the difficulties that can happen and the risks and so yeah. on. Yeah. And actually, you know, our team have been amazing on this project. They've been they've been so good. It's just they've stepped up as well. So that's been really good to see because, you know, we've been working with most of them for a while on a few projects. But it's great to see them step up to the next level in what they can do as well. So I think great. they've enjoyed it. I think they've enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you give to somebody who's perhaps just starting off with HMOs right now or looking to get into them in 2021? Um, for me, it would be get the basics right. Um, you know, if you're whether it's rent to rent or mostly if you're buying properties and converting them into HMOs, then get the basics right. First of all, make sure you know there's a good market. So obviously, the standard things will be there that there's good employment in the area and good transport links, that sort of thing. But also get the underneath stuff right. It's, it's lovely on Facebook. We see all this property porn, don't we? Of all these beautiful pictures and cushions and all this lovely stuff. But for me, it's actually the plumbing that matters and it's the electrics that matter. And those are the things that will cost you money down the line if you don't spend on them now. So we went out to price up a, a project for um, a potential new client and um, their proposal um, was that they would paint the radiators rather than replace them and can I leave that boiler in the bedroom and that sort of thing and we, our advice was just you're scrimping on the wrong things um, you need to be spending the money on those things because if you don't move that boiler it will cause you constant problems and you won't be able to let the room as easily and if you paint the radiators they're just going to look naff and in a year's time they'll probably be peeling anyway so radiators don't cost that much replace them so for me, it's just spending the money in the right places. Cushions look great, but spend the money on the underneath stuff. You can still have cushions as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, as we say, you, some of those things are much harder to, to then go back and redo. Yeah. Once, once that, that property has got people living in it, it's much harder to do all of the unseen stuff 
that's the fabric of the building that will actually make yeah. it work for the next 10 years as an investment. Exactly. And I'm saying from cold hard experience, you know, we made that mistake in the in the initial ones. We were short of cash. We were like, oh, we can just do this. But we've had to go back and redo stuff. So don't do it. Take my advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, do what we do now, which is do it right in the first place, because that's really, really important. And yeah. also think about, you know, bearing in mind coronavirus and that people's mentality may have changed. There's still going to be massive demand for HMOs because it's still a really good option for people. It's a nice, easy option for people in terms of moving into a property on their own, sort of on their own. But think about the space that they might need, because if people are going to be working from home, um, you know, we have we we've seen properties where people have come to us to take them on and they don't even have a desk. Um, and, you know, we, you do need to kind of think beyond the basic bed, drawers, wardrobe and think about maybe creating a slightly better space for somebody to effectively spend all day in if they're going to be working from home. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point as well. Yeah. Brilliant. So it sounds like you still got a great deal of confidence and faith in HMOs moving forward. The, the market seems to be good for you. And yeah. Choose your area carefully, but yes, in the right areas, they still really work. And with good management, of course, they do work because that's the, the biggest challenge, I think, for HMOs is not so much the demand. It's the managing of the tenants and keeping the tenants that's the hard bit. Yeah. Well, you've obviously got it licked, Diane. I see you there sitting in your castle in France. <laughs> yeah, my team, might, my team might disagree. They're all working hard back in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> but you're the visionary entrepreneur. You've made this happen, and it's absolutely brilliant. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's really wonderful and inspiring to see that, you know, hard work pays off, and in the end you've achieved all that you wanted to, getting your husband out of work, uh, developing his separate income streams and, and now having this wonderful opportunity to spend as much of time as you want to in your, your French sheet. Um, and uh, next time we're, we're in our motorhome driving down to the south of France, I'll, I'll, oh, call, I'll call you. Yeah, there might be some Yorkshire tea on, you never know. <laughs> or a glass of red, more likely. <laughs> Perfect. Well, listen, Diane, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really wonderful to get to know you a little bit more and understand about what you've done. You've, you've given us some excellent pieces of advice. And, and uh, I know that uh, people in the group today will really appreciate your, your words of wisdom and your insight. And um, if you want to put your details uh, onto the, the live video once it goes onto the group, uh, if, you, if there's anybody who'd like to contact Diane, you might have some questions for her. I'm sure you'd be very happy to answer questions. Uh, or if there's anybody who's got an HMO in the Weatherby or Yorkshire area and would like to chat to Diane about her services, I'm sure you'd be very happy to, yes. to take questions, wouldn't you, Diane? Of course, yeah. Brilliant. Great, okay. Well, thank you very much for today. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. Uh, I, I suppose I should say, uh, what's the French word for um, happy Christmas? <laughs> I used to know this. <laughs> Joyeux Noël. Joyeux Noël, absolutely. Joyeux Noël. Have a bon année, which is happy new year. Yeah, good new year. Great stuff. <laughs> Thanks ever so much, Diane. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the HMO Success Podcast. If you'd like to know more about how you can create a profitable HMO business, please visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk, to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there, and also on our Facebook group, The Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.